Hello, you wonderful people, and welcome to episode number 11 of the Being a Sapien podcast. My guest today is Callum Stronach. Callum is an elite sports nutritionist. He's the guy that helps fix people's relationships with food. Nutrition for me has always come pretty natural. Um, I did the sort of hard work early on in my uh, fitness career to learn and educate myself. And sort of ever since then, sort of good five, six years ago, it's just something I just know a lot about now and don't really need to spend much time um, worrying about. But doesn't really work like that with a lot of people, you know. There are a lot of people who struggle with their nutrition, whether it's under-eating, over-eating, not having a healthy um, mindset when it comes to nutrition and just forming bad habits. Um, so Callum sort of dispels a lot of myths. We go into a lot of detail on psychological aspects of nutrition and how he helps his clients when it comes to sort of his offering. Um, but we cover a lot of different different subjects, whether that be just general weight loss and calorie deficit, whether that be you know nutrition in in, in relationships, um, sports nutrition, um, overeating, undereating. There's a lot that we go into. So every single person listening to this will take a lot from because you'll you'll learn a lot about nutrition in this um, in this podcast. So a fantastic little chat. Episode number eleven coming right up. Hello and welcome people. I am joined by an elite sports nutritionist today. This one is going to be um, an absolute blinder. I, I, I can't wait to delve into this man's brain because uh, he's very switched on when it comes to uh, the world of nutrition. Um, which is huge, um, obviously, to stay alive, as if of anything. Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, Mr. Callum Stoddick, how are you, sir? Yeah, very well. Honoured to be here. Honoured to be here. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Um, so for guys that, that don't know Callum, Callum is an elite sports nutritionist. Um, he works with a range of people. It could be your standard Joe Bloggs and someone who's got sort of a um, unhealthy relationship with food, and he tries to sort of, you know, get into the to the mindset of them and change their mindset based around food if they have sort of unhealthy habits. Um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum with elite sportsmen. Um, we had a little conversation just just pre-recording. He's working um, with the British weightlifting. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. That's right. Um, so, so yeah, huge, huge range of clients who Callum works with, and um, it's, it's, a, it's an honour to have someone like this on here to talk about nutrition. I, I'm a little bit clued, clued up on it. I don't know loads about it, but I can, um, I, I can, I can hold my own a bit. But you know, you're going to go into a lot of depth with with the actual um, mindset of it, physiological differences, psychological differences, and how we sort of apply it. Um, so I'm very, very excited. But take it away. Who are you? What do you do? Where do you come from, Callum? Um, so it sounds a bit like, um, was it take me out where my name's Callum? I'm from, I'm 30. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, no, my, I am Callum. I am, um, a nutritionist. Um, I've kind of two lines of work where, um, I, my private work is very much centered around kind of almost like the psychological side of eating, um, working within a kind of a more disordered eating space relationship with food space um, and things like that and then I've historically worked with a number of kind of national governing bodies um, currently working with um, British weightlifting being the primary one at the moment 
Um, and that's very much about kind of like weight making and, and kind of obviously the performance side of nutrition. But I think that kind of in many ways, it's working with populations of people that have high levels of, of food focus. Um, and it's just about kind of harnessing that focus into something that serves the rest of their life. Um, and that doesn't yeah. matter if you've got athletes going to Tokyo um, or whether you've got just Susan who is looking to build a better relationship with food. Ultimately, nutrition has to be just a, a piece of the pie that is is your life. And it's just making sure that that pie is something that you actually um, that actually fits, you know, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I actually really interestingly, my whole view on nutrition is, is dramatically changed over the last sort of, I say five years. My aim growing up when I was sort of younger was this just typical you know, bodybuilder and one of those, like, you know, all, all I trained for was aesthetics. All I trained for was to just look good in the mirror. Um, I actually eventually went on to do a show. Um, so I stepped on stage with WBFF at sort of four and a half percent body fat, um, probably feeling the worst I've ever felt. And, um, and when I've, I've been through that whole sort of um, saga when it comes to food and like extreme dieting, you know, to a point where it was like, you know, I, I really am I'm struggling here. Um, all the way to the other end of the spectrum now where like I just train for performance. I need fuel in me. I know that the food that's going in me has to, you know, better my performance and that's kind of all I train for now um, which is fantastic so like my whole I suppose like psychological relationship with foods totally changed I don't see food now as just sort of calories in calories out I see them as like you know how do I get fueled the best way possible I think that, that I, that's such a, a kind of a seismic change and it's it's viewing one of the kind of the narratives that I like to really promote, and this will go within um, within the athletic populations as well, is we kind of throw this word around nourishment, kind of nourishment being kind of from a physio physiological standpoint um, to serve that element of performance, but also just realizing that food is, and it might sound a bit kind of like hippie, but food is also nourishment for the soul. And, mm. and to kind of to, to explore what that means to you, like some people, food will take them, take them back to their childhood and opening ourselves up to this idea. Like I love apple pie because my nan used to make the most immense apple pie. And, yeah. and just to kind of, but then also kind of, and this is what we do, explore, well, where does that fit in? Where does nutrition, like, I still want to be someone who performs well and has high standards when it comes to my own performance. But then can I start to open up narratives about food serving that need of, um, of kind of connection and a means of facilitating greater social experiences? Like if you and I could enhance this experience right now, if we were doing this over coffee or if we were doing it over like it would make a more memorable experience mm. um i've got a shortbread here if you want me to eat a shortbread mate yeah well, i mean <laughs> i've got water that's yeah so and, it, <laughs> and it's just allowing ourselves and i think that we get to we can kind of reduce food as you said to this kind mm. of really binary substance which is just in out when it and if we can start to open up a conversation about it, it's so much more than that as you said yeah it serves our performance yes in the gym and athletically but 
um, just the way we show up in terms of work, mm. but then also it serves experiences and, and, and things like that. And if we can- One, of the, that, one of the really important things that I think um, I'd like to go into a bit more depth on with you, and one thing that you just mentioned there, social experiences. So like, you know, this whole, this whole notion that I sometimes see whereby you know, someone knows that, okay, I've got a big night out on Saturday, um, whether it's like I'm, I'm going to a restaurant and I'm going to be having drinks afterwards with friends, et cetera, et cetera. And they almost like not starve themselves, but like they, you know, they reduce their, their food intake throughout the week, knowing that they're going to obviously have a bit of a blowout on the weekend. I look at this two ways. Fantastic. You're educated enough to know that, you know, you, you do need to like, own in a little, like, you know, take it down a little bit and you need to like maybe have that little bit of restriction if you're um if, if you're in a, in a current sort of dieting um i suppose phase of your life but then also knowing that like okay you shouldn't be punishing yourself as such just because you know that you're going to go out and have a, a a good social with your friends how do you sort of where do you sit with that the thing is is that there's no right or wrong there's just context and one of the things is is that so restriction is is not a thing like we cannot enforce that kind of notion of restriction restraint however like that can be um that can be something that i can um live with particularly if there's dieting goals to say you know what i'm actively not eating this at the moment because it's going to serve myself um do something my future self will thank me for type, um, type yeah. narrative. Um, but then it's also in the knowledge that I am not eating this now, but I can if I want to, and I can trust myself to do it. And one of the things is if, and this is the thing about kind of all routine, nutrition, routine, nutrition structures, et cetera, et cetera. We cannot demonize routines and patterns of eating because they are great. They remove decision-making. They allow us to um, apply energy into other areas of our lives. They save us money, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's looking at the intention behind that. It's then mm. if someone is, is being quite, I would use the language restraint, uh, or restrained um, Monday to Friday because they know they have a social event on a Saturday and they are doing that to serve a greater purpose, then great. But if yeah. they are doing it because they don't trust themselves to manage um, a, a social event on a weekend and they're just basically masking a, a binge, then that's something that we, we cannot accept. And mm -hmm. so it's just looking at kind of like the intention. Intention is everything, right? And of so course, yeah. if the intention isn't in the right place, then it can be problematic. Um, so, yeah. How do, how do you go about identifying that? Is it more so a case of understanding if you were sitting down with a client and being like, look, like, where are you currently at with your, you know, your diet or your nutrition or what are your current goals? If they turn around to you and said, look, like, this is what I want to achieve in X, Y, Z, and it was a case of them losing weight then yeah you'd maybe have a bit more of a, a level of respect for that if they didn't really like have an understanding of what they're doing they know they're just doing it as you said because they you know they don't trust themselves that they can't take it easy on the on the weekend then it's a bit more like okay well like you've probably got the wrong mindset going into this yeah i think that it's looking one of the things that we evaluate is just um is looking for kind of red flags along the way and 
it's it's never ever to demonize um someone wanting to diet or wanting to change their body that's that's we can we can accept that um but it's got to come come from a good place and so one of the 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 kind of the notions of exploring it is is looking at the way in which they rely on I would refer to it as external validation because all these things are if, if like my fitness pal is um is just an external mechanism of validation if I was to if it's saying how is my nutrition today and if my fitness pal says that my nutrition is okay then I it's okay um mm-hmm. And, and things like routines and, and practices, they look at means of just validating and, and generating this sense of, of safety within what we're doing. It's a, a human need of, of safety. Um, and what we want to do and what we search for in our kind of practices is, can we remove these mechanisms of external validation and can we validate ourselves? Can, can I go mm. into myself and can I just say, you know what, if I, if I was to um, not have this routine, if I was to just come and mess your routine up, if I was to be like, can you eat intuitively and, and still achieve what you want to achieve? And can you go inside yourself and be like, how's my nutrition today? And yeah, it's okay. And you feel safe enough based on, a feeling if that makes sense mm. so are you saying then are you saying that someone then can potentially achieve whatever they want to achieve without necessarily having to track their food and knowing more so that by educating themselves initially they can still achieve what they want to achieve without having to be sort of a stickler for, for tracking yeah, 100 percent. Um, I mean the thing like I will just caveat the idea of of particularly like intuitive eating movements aren't inherently a dieting structure but what you can do is manipulate more quote-unquote intuitive practices um to then have non-tracking approaches to dieting you can um like i say habit-based approaches habit-based approaches the promotion of of certain foods like um, creating certain structures and the thing is about tracking is that you can have a very calculated approach to fat loss if you can kind of estimate someone's daily energy expenditure with a degree of accuracy and you have the related data then great it gives you a highly quantifiable um, means of a diet so if you said i want to lose five kilos and i've got this amount of of time to do it then Mm. we could calculate a very systemized diet but then it's looking you don't have that degree of of kind of certainty but then you can create a more flexible, which is arguably more realistic because Mm. if you are life after dieting, you're never gonna eat the same amount of food every single day. It will naturally undulate like hunger does. And so it allows you to kind of develop that more ebb and flow approach um, Mm. that isn't, and and people avoid it because it's not definitive and it's not kind of um, as, as clear as, as maybe tracking is, and I'm not demonizing tracking, I think it's a great tool, but it's just opening ourselves up to, there are other ways in which we can achieve yeah. it that just aren't as clear. Yeah, no, I massively agree. The word that springs to mind right there is sustainability. 
and being able to sustainably, it's not even diet, sustainably eat foods and nourish ourselves without having to check our phone and look at what calories are, are, are in that, that, that meal, right? I kind of see this as like, we're not hamsters in a wheel. Like we're not, we're not people that are just trying to like burn calories, eat calories, burn calories, eat calories. Like when we are like, we're human beings, right? Yep. So like, as soon as we sort of develop this relationship with food, where it's like, I don't see this food as a calorie, I see it as a means of nourishment, then it's like an incredibly powerful mindset to get into because then you're not necessarily... I don't know. You're not necessarily treating yourselves or you're not necessarily you know, thinking bad about yourself because you ate a specific food. You're thinking to yourself, okay, do you know what? Like for the past three, four days, I've had a really good like flow, you know, oh, that crosstown donut looks good. I'm going to enjoy that crosstown donut without having to feel like shit about it. And I feel like that's an incredibly powerful mindset to get into. Um, and it definitely takes away a lot of the, I suppose, just subconscious stress to know that like you know you haven't got to feel, feel shit about it if you want to treat yourself when oh, yeah. i say treat i mean treat as in that the most like blase way to say it right it shouldn't be a yeah. treat and i think that what you're also referring to is they also have this kind of you see this tagline and it appears on social media a lot particularly in the nutrition space of you have unconditional permission to eat whatever you want um and you're right it's a privilege as adults to be able to have this freedom the fact that i have the money to go out and buy a cross down donor is is an absolute privilege and and if we can start to practice this even within a dieting context um whilst dieting can put certain conditions on that but if we can exercise this freedom of choice and and allow ourselves this this freedom of choice we are also going to decrease our urges and our cravings for these foods and this idea of, of as human beings there's the, we have um what they call an inability to comprehend the negative like if we if i say to you now do not um do not think of boris johnson in a mankini like what are you thinking of like we i'm already googling it yeah <laughs> and like i say it's it's something that if we're told not to do something even as a child if i was to tell my two-year-old nephew we reinforce the positive i say take this cup of water and um keep the water in the cup rather than do not spill it because if he's like do not spill it do not spill it do not spill it and so if we apply that same mantra to food, if we apply this idea of should or shouldn't to food, I want that pizza, but I shouldn't have it, then these means of language are going to just increase the urge for food. Whereas mm -hmm. sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where you've been like, I'm going to have, I don't know, that crosstown donut, which, don't get me wrong, massive fan of, um, or that pizza, and you've been like, this is a waste of calories. This is a, this hasn't, this hasn't um, kind of fulfilled me as it were, like it's not okay. made me feel any better. Um, and whereas sometimes we can, if we were just to be in a place of being like, you know what, pizza, I can have that pizza if I want it. I can be, I'll engage in mindful practices, but also pizza is the same as kale, is the same as, chicken is the same of pork is the same of lentils and just food is food then we can actually be like well what do i actually want 
Because if we are, mm. if we're in a place where we're saying shouldn't, then we just create a tunnel vision for the food that we believe that we shouldn't have. And we mm. actually become more connected with our, what we actually want and therefore make in the long, make better decisions. And you create patterns that sustain your result. Mm. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. That's really, they, really they interesting. They do it with um, like, they do it with, alpine skiers there was an amazing study where they did they locked two groups of people in a room um in one room they had the freedom to do whatever they wanted like or any activity in the other room they could do the same activities but they were told do not press the red button and they the urge just because they um were told do not press the red button the urge to press the red button increased by a minimum of sevenfold and sometimes as high as 10 uh, 12 fold sorry and so you're saying that by by saying don't do something don't have that pizza i'm increasing my likelihood of urge by seven times just by not doing that then mm. the power of language is huge and so this is where it comes back to like intention the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves the stories we tell ourselves about food and these are the avenues in which we look to explore both with relationship with food clients disordered eating clients and athletes it's still the same kind of avenue of exploration of course do you what do you find are what do you find is, is most closely linked between like, you know, Joe Bloggs on the street who just wants to better their relationship with health and with nutrition and athletes? Are there like, are there any really common things that stand out to you on both, in both parties? As, as potentially problematic, you mean? Problematic or like whereby like they both have very similar problems or issues when it comes to relationship with food do they like do do athletes tend to favor one specific problem or they go down one specific route and like your standard joe bogs on the street go down one or is that is, is it all very closely linked i think like what we have to remember is like it's just we're all human beings we're all emotionally driven human beings and whilst um it and the source of our pains can be really really we could we can actually um kind of close them down into quite a close-knit circle and it, it can come to um and it doesn't matter if you're an athlete and like eating disorders and disordered eating manifest themselves like that's part of the reason why i work with some governing bodies working within um sports that have diet culture embedded in them like weightlifting has diet culture weight making sport embedded which can be problematic um, yeah. and it comes down to maybe a lack of an inability to validate themselves like if you look at you know what i was saying before about going internally and being like i'm okay how is my nutrition my nutrition is okay if we put that in the construct of athletes and speaking very generically athletes are probably the worst for this then they've got this constant notion of competition comparison to other people they've got mm -hmm. this notion of they're reliant on their coach to be like you're doing good you're doing good it's fine and so they have they've constantly got these external means of validation the funding that they get the, the national governing body even just being like um 
the times that they might run or the weights that they might lift. Like, you know what, you, whereas I can be in a place of validating myself by being, the time might not be in what I want to be, but A, it's not a reflection of me as an individual and, and B, like I gave my best effort and that is me validating myself and therefore I can feel my sense of self can be preserved. And also, I mean, the way, the way I see that as well, if they're you know, at, at quite a high level and they're constantly performing and doing a, a good job of it, someone coming to them and potentially trying to change things when it comes to nutrition, you know, for me, I would automatically probably get my back up and be like, hold on a minute, I've been doing this for X, Y, Z number of years. You're now coming in and saying, change this. Well, tell me why. How is it going to better me? And then that can come into a bit of a, an argument whereby it's like, you know, if it's not broken, why am I fixing it? Yeah, and I completely agree. And I wouldn't, and I think that everything that, and everything that we do, whether that's with general population or within elite athletes, is working with the what they do now like it's 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 irresponsible it's to try and take someone from and cause vast change and cause vast disruption um even if it's going to potentially be significantly beneficial it's not going to be sustainable as you said the thing that i would just kind of challenge is the idea of kind of getting hung up on certain nutrition nutritional practices um, mm -hmm. from a place of if you were to ask me like how is your nutrition at the moment I would say it's fantastic um, good relationship with food good output in performance etc etc however the thing is is that our nutrition only ever serves us at one moment in time. So what I'm doing now, whilst it is fantastic, it serves me as a single guy who lives by himself in his early thirties, who can go to the gym, et cetera, et cetera, who is self-employed and has control over his diary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm. And often the problem, the problematic nature that people get stuck on is that they get attached to certain protocols that they did at certain times. Whereas actually what can I then be versatile enough in my behaviors where I, my workload increases or even like when I'm come back to London, like my neat increases, or what about if I was to get into a relationship and have to share my share someone else's nutritional values? Can I, mm. can I compromise in that? Or like further down the line, if I, if I was to have a family, can I, um, adapt my behaviors if I can't go to the gym as, as frequently as I do, if I um, have got so much less sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the thing is, is just being like our mind nutrition behaviors might be fantastic at the moment, but then it's evaluating our fluidity within those and being, can we be versatile if life changes, even if it's just the smallest fraction? Well, yeah, that, and it, yeah, I massively agree there. Let's say, for example, what's happened over the sort of last 18 months, we, well, a typical person who would work at a nine to five, usually from eight in the morning until six in the evening, they're out of the house. So they haven't, you know, they don't probably have the flexibility that they would do back, in that, back at home to cook when they want, eat when they want. And 
now all of a sudden they're thrown in this in this world where they're not used to it and all of a sudden they have the flexibility and the time probably to eat when they want and make whatever food they want snack when they want you know so that all of a sudden they've got this like whole new life and if you're not someone who's probably in tune with knowing certain practices when it comes to nutrition that can quite quickly become a bit of a recipe for disaster because you can quite easily start you know eating way more than you typically would you're also now moving a lot less than you were because you're not traveling to and from places you know it can quite it can quite quickly spiral and if you don't you know recognize that it can be a it can be a, it could be a pretty bad thing completely 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 and there's a reason i mean um binge eating was up 35 percent during lockdown periods um oh, wow and- that's big yeah, it's huge. It's so, so huge for those reasons. And it comes from kind of, yes, there's physiological kind of drivers, I'm sure, behind that. But it also comes down to that kind of um, the psychological drivers, like food is a source of connection. And mm-hmm. um, and we are, we're lacking of that. Um, an inability, like I say, for people to, if they're unable to trust themselves, then can I swear on this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, um, the the kind of the fuck it mentality. Um, that's a, a means of people kind of um, um, kind of harnessing some form of control um, in the idea of and in terms of just eating whatever they want. And that particularly that's been particularly prominent over COVID and lockdowns, just because mm. if we're if we are faced with um, some form of uncertainty then we are wired as human beings to put in strategies um, to generate that certainty, to to generate that sense of safety and and belonging otherwise. And food is a tool to do this. Um, An example of how inefficient we can be is that if you had stood me up today, I would have been unable to just objectively accept Lee has stood me up today. I would have formed a story that says, Lee has stood me up because. Now, mm-hmm. I might just be, there might be some truth to the story. I just mean like, Lee is a really busy guy. I don't know that to be true and you've just forgot. Like, or if my esteem is, is maybe kind of not in the best place, I mean, might be like, Lee doesn't value my time. Lee is, um, <laughs> Lee doesn't think very highly of me. But this is like, I don't know that to be true. You could have, anything could have happened, you know? And we formulate these stories that then um, uh, like go back to the safety mechanisms that go back to kind of paleolithic times where if if we're walking through, if caveman is walking through the forest and he hears a rustle in the bushes, it could be the wind, but he also needs the story to tell him that there is, a saber-toothed tiger that's ready to kill him. And then mm. we, so if we are faced, we, we have to generate that sense of, of safety, even if it's just the jet through the generation of stories. And so when that comes to food, if we are faced with some form of challenge or uncertainty, um, and this is where that ability to validate ourselves internally comes in, if we can't, if we can't validate ourselves um, to be like, have I, have I messed up my nutrition? Am I going to put on weight? Am I, um, 
am I going to, like I say, can I trust myself in this moment? It creates questions of uncertainty. Now you, with a grounded relationship with food, might be able to be like, no, I'm okay, move on. You might even not even, um, you, you will do this, but unconsciously. Um, yeah. Whereas someone else will just be like in this state of uncertainty and then they will create a sense of control by being like, well, I can't mess up if there's no rules on food, or I can't mess up if I push my boundaries on food to something that um, if I bend the rules on that I project onto food um, that um, kind of meet this. And so I can't mess up if I just go, fuck it. I can't mess up if, if there are no rules. And so that's where this kind of like, fuck it mentality. It's a generation of, of safety. And then you combine that in particularly in lockdown periods with increased comparison, increased times on social media and poor emotion, like some people poor emotional regulation, which is what it kind of comes down to. Mm. Then like, like I say, it can, it's, uh, it's, that's where the numbers have been so high. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's so, and there's, there's so much more to the story, you know, like when you, when you see someone that's either like incredibly overweight or incredibly underweight, like there, there is so much more to the story than just, oh, like they've overeaten or they're undereaten. Like you've really got to dig deeper into sort of this, the psychological issues or the psychological problems that that person's going through, you know? And I find that that for me is sort of really powerful when you come, when in your line of work, when you work with people that have disorders, um, ones that are quite sort of, I'd say intense and, and, and pretty far down the line. How do you approach that from a psychological like standpoint? So what I would, so there's a number of different ways. The main thing is, is to explore or I kind of go in with the mindset that um, food is not the issue. Food is just a projection of, of what's going on. And again, for a means of kind of certainty, as we've just kind of discussed, we will make food into this issue because it's obvious. We yeah. like clarity as human beings. And so if I say um, I have an issue with food, um, I can pinpoint the behaviours that are making me overweight or underweight or um, and things like that. I can even pinch, physically pinch the bits of body fat or I can point to the bits of my body that I might not be at peace with. And so it, where, and it makes it like a really nice, and if problems were a present, it would be the most nicely gift wrapped problem that we could, we could possibly have. Whereas mm. if I actually say, well, actually, it's probably something to do with a more emotional capacity, ability to regulate it in, in certain capacities, then um, it's not as obvious. And so the way in which I would look at it is we evaluate, I have a model of, I would evaluate the present. What's going on in the present in terms of their current practices around eating? Are they being restrictive? Um, like, how do, they, how do they validate their own nutrition um, behaviors and even like what are they doing like what are their um can they make their life easier with making just generation of better habits also how are they speaking to themselves what is their self-worth like what are the language that they use about themselves in this moment mm. then what are their body image kind of 
um, what's their perception of their body image like. Once we've dealt with everything in the present, then we go look at the past. Um, we go look at um, kind of looking through um, past traumas, their modeling mm. of love, um, their kind of elements of their upbringing that, that kind of can have a huge influence. Um, and once we've kind of done that, then we look at the, uh, the future and we basically future-proof ourselves and look at mm. what are future um, potential triggers um, and look to kind of work through that. And that's how, I kind of, that's how we kind of explore it. Mm. That's really powerful. I'm going to ask you a question now and I think it's going to be pretty difficult to answer. What do you deem as the most important to dig through their present or to dig through their past? I would always go the past, always. Mm. Um, however, some people are, you can do so much good work going through the present. Um, I have this idea of, um, we call it um, burning the question. Like it's the same thing. Once you go somewhere, you can't not go there anymore. Like once you see something, you can't unsee it. Um, mm. People have to be ready for that. And some people, whether they don't have the support network in place, maybe they're not emotionally robust um, and enough to kind of burn that question and to, to go yeah. there. Um, and so you can do so much great work in the present um, and dealing with the current. Um, but I would say that you're, you might not be truly free until you've done that work in the past. Address the past, yeah. And I would not, um, I wouldn't be in a, in a place to say, it would be irresponsible just to be like, yes, we should do this. And sometimes uh, I literally this morning worked with a client where we did so much great work in the present and she finished and she, her behavior's not binging anymore. She's doing this. And then she's had six months. And whilst her behaviors are still pretty good for the most part, she's got much better sense of self. There's still elements of red flags, which she's noticed. And now she's ready to dig into the past. And mm. it, so we can't force the issue in that sense. Um, and yeah. it's just having the curiosity and being open to do that. But 100% the past. Yeah, because no, no, I, yeah, I find it really interesting. You know, past... Past traumas can have a, it's not even, it might even be when it comes to nutrition, you know, a lot of people can sometimes fall into this trap of, you know, doing something in quite an obsessive way because they're, you know, kind of covering up or not accepting or not even, you know, addressing something that's happened in the past. And therefore they turn to like other forms of practices, whether it be drink, whether it be drugs, whether it be food, whether like whatever it is, sometimes they can get really obsessive about that specific thing because that thing that they're doing covers and blinds that, that sort of thing that's happened in the past. And I think until the past is really addressed, um, it, it's hard to make sort of a really powerful behavioral change. The other and, thing and is, of... yeah, the other thing is, is that our behaviors will have served us really, really well at one point in our life. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important to kind of acknowledge that. But then as we go through different ego states then and, and kind of develop, particularly from child to adult, they just get misconstrued. And so, for example, a really, really like, say, um, 
common one is that say if um, we explore things like our model of love. So say if you have a child, like as a child, we're massively dependent on our um, parents or our guardians for that sense of safety. Like we're so vulnerable as, as, as children. And so how do we generate that sense of safety? Now, for some people, they might have achieved huge elements of, of validation and security through achieving. Oh, my parents um, really rewarded me when I got really great grades or I was a kick-ass athlete in school and my parents just showered me with love and affection amazing like that um that's something that served you really really well that as a child probably enhanced your childhood experience however that that sense of of validation through achievement in this kind of more obvious construct that doesn't really work as an uh, um, as an adult like if mm -hmm. i'm like lee give me a give me validation because i can snatch this or i can uh, run 5k in this time like you don't like someone because of what they achieve you like them for deeper senses of what you connect on but then yeah. what we do is and this is where food comes in we set this high expectation because we should be this we should achieve this we should achieve this like i'm eating chocolate no these aren't the standards that i achieve no you had you were rewarded for achievement there you don't need to prove anything here you need to just yeah. be a human and we can get hold of what's called we get we attach ourselves to certain ego states from different points in our life i would say an ego state of mine was as 21 starting out in business i was very focused on things like money and and these extrinsic kind of factors and so like for the yeah that's great to kind of that served me so so well to have that drive as a 21 year old but that's not going to sustain me in business for the next 30 years. What sustains me is, is the process of more intrinsic stuff, finding love in my work and all of this kind of stuff. So when I get caught up in money, um, meeting KPIs and, and all of these kind of things, I'm like, no, hold on a minute. Just serve, like build the relationships with the clients, like create the content that you want to create and just, invest in people and the rest will just take care of itself but mm. and not that it doesn't matter but we we evaluate where these things can kind of come from and they will serve us really well at some points in our lives of course yeah and the, the the current relationship we have or you had at 21 as you say you're in that current state of mind for a reason you know that 21 right you're, you're fresh into things you're going to be hungry for certain things you're going to want to want to speak, like everyone's going to want certain things at 21 that they're going to want something totally different at 31 right it's yeah. just how you sort of adapt adapt as a human um which is is sort of all part of of, of human nature i suppose um yeah. when it comes to i i I feel like this is thrown around quite a lot when it comes to nutrition and being in a relationship. You know, there's this whole notion of sometimes people get comfortable and all of a sudden it might be like noticeably different that one of the partners or like both partners have either you know, lost a considerable amount of weight or put on, usually in most cases, a, a considerable amount of weight. Um, how, how, do you, how does this happen for a start? Um, and how do you go about, I suppose, 
addressing this with a, a, a potential client? I think obviously things like relationships and forming new relationships just ultimately kind of provide more social constructs, which maybe then allow facilitate more like calorie dense foods, which then obviously cause people to um, like put on weight if in some context. The thing that I would just explore is what is the role that food plays within your relationship um, and the explore, exploration of kind of like um, what food means to you and the individually and how they we can then align that I work with at the moment I'm working with three couples um, mm. and it just comes from a, a sense of making sure that we've we kind of formulate those boundaries um understanding like i would say for me like food is a means of of showing love like if i was in a relationship um i really hold value in cooking like it's a means of it's an act of service if we go into things like love languages and and Agreed. stuff like that that um that i hold a lot of, of value in and so if you are going to reject my food i would say that i'm really nutritionally aware but then if you are going to kind of dismiss my food then that's a conversation that i'm not um, opposed to but then i would need to we would need to kind of create clarity on that and i think mm. it's just an articulation of or exploring values individually like what do i value like what is the what is the gym to you everything drives a feeling like i want to eat well so i can go to the gym because when i go to the gym i feel this and create these conversations oh actually but then i want to have a sense of food as facilitating some form of connection because we have this kind of experience and when you talk about that kind of experiences what other ways can you facilitate that feeling? It might just be a sense of when we eat dinner at a restaurant together, I have you, I have a sense of presence that I do not have at any other, uh, any other time. So mm. you are not on your phone. You're not this, you're not that as, um, um, and that type of thing. Okay. Well, can we facilitate some other time where fit where I can be completely present and completely in tune with you and we can have the depths of conversations that we do have and it's creating an understanding of when we are using food in a couple's construct just understanding it's a vehicle to meet certain needs now what those needs are are maybe comfort connection um, intimacy in some cases um a comma um, um, a degree of mutuality but the food is the vehicle and we can change the vehicle at any point we just look yeah. at what are the needs that it's meeting okay what other vehicles do we have to meet those needs and it's just yeah, yeah. thinking about it in that and it's it comes down to communication um, for the most part yeah massively yeah communication is so important and um, especially if you know there, there might be one individual that's more into I don't know, CrossFit than the other one. One might be more into running than the other one, you know. So, you know, 
neither of them are going to have the exact same values. It's going to be it's going to be very very rare where like both people stand for the exact same thing. They do the exact same thing. They work the exact same job. Um, so if if you are in that realm, then amazing. You know, people one in, one in a million. Um, but if you're not, it's kind of understanding. Look, like you know, is it fair of me that I've uh, I've been out on my feet all day working? I've I've taught. Know, three classes i've took two clients i've had a crossfit i've had a crossfit session i then come home my partner has sat at a desk for eight hours she hasn't really been able to move she's been back to that with meetings she hasn't had that same sort of movement that i've had all day therefore like it would be really unfair for me to like you know sit there and eat some like really calorie dense food and indulge and like make her do it if i haven't had the same daily experience right yeah so then over time it can kind of then like have this snowball effect where like oh shit like <laughs> this person next to me is actually like putting on some considerable weight and i'm not because i've got totally different practices than what she has um so yeah it's, it's a really really interesting one as you say communication is, is, is incredibly important and preserving that element of independence just that idea of okay well um is that something that she wants to do if if like i say you're dating someone that doesn't have the same activity factor that say someone like yourself does but then it's also understanding that we have to as an individual take ownership of that like mm. you can kind of promote the the conversation but ultimately like you can't make anyone do anything yeah, um, exactly. they have to be in a place of like actually you're really active i'm really sedentary how can we come up with a compromise yeah, exactly. And yeah, as you said, individuality, right? Everyone's an individual. And as much as you are in a relationship doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to do the same things as what your partner does. You don't have to eat the same things as your partner does. Um, yeah. Just have a bit of sort of ownership of yourself, control of yourself, and just know like, yes, as much as you are in a relationship and it's a team and there is a partnership, the partnership needs to work both ways in order for the relationship to flourish and work and you know, both individuals to feel, I suppose, at ease of each other and in an element of happiness um because that's, that's so important yeah, um so i suppose over the last sort of couple of years one thing that's been prevalent hugely among, among sort of weight loss is just this notion of just being in the calorie deficit calorie deficit calorie deficit calorie deficit you know it's thrown out left right and chelsea and you know to some people it's like well is it really that simple is it really that easy What's your view on you know, weight loss and just purely being in a calorie deficit? Does that just serve the main purpose or is it more so about being in a calorie deficit, but also being careful of what you're putting in your body? Yeah, um, it's definitely a much more complex issue. Like obviously it ultimately does come down to energy balance. Um, and I think that, but I also think that that's a really healthy narrative to kind of in a dieting construct to like put forward to be like, you know what, like food is food and it kind of ties into that unconditional permission to, um, to do what, to eat whatever we want. Um, and I think that there's, it can be problematic in the sense of, of just oversimplifying the process it's mm -hmm. simple but not easy um mm -hmm. but then at the same time it can actually be like you know what today has been not great um in terms of food quality um but you're in a calorie deficit and that is enough 
and that is going to be a step forward to to your towards your goals if you're if you're dieting um the notion of of then the the stuff that you we can evaluate is that are we kind of making our life easier and are we are we showing habits um are we displaying habits that ultimately are going to sustain a result? They've done studies that look at sustainable dieters and unsustainable diet, um, successful dieters, sorry, and unsuccessful dieters. Uh, both parties lose weight and body fat, but then the successful group go on to maintain their weight and um, or have further success versus the unsuccessful group relapse. And so what they look at is a whole plethora of different um, different um, kind of elements from brain activity to their support network to their actual dietary practices and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it goes without saying that the sustainable um, or the successful group rather have good practices around protein they have good practices around um fiber and other micronutrients and and things like that and so if there is a void of that then that for me would be a kind of a red flag just to be like okay can we promote this and can we just start to open up a conversation like why are you not doing this um and what sense of of kind of comfort are you seeking by by not doing it if that makes sense yeah yeah, no, hugely. And I, I kind of stand for this whole thing with like pleasure and happiness. You know, pleasure is like a short term, short term feeling of happiness. If, you know, you have this element of for the next eight weeks that I'm in this calorie deficit as such, and I've eaten kind of realistic, I've been pretty, pretty relaxed. I've, you know, I've stuck to my macros as much as I can. It might go up, might go down. Protein's been pretty decent, but I've been in a calorie deficit for eight weeks and I've got this pleasure of knowing that, you know, oh, great, I've done a fantastic job. I've lost all this weight. But long term, you haven't really built all the foundations. You haven't really put everything into practice to make you happy in the long run because you don't really know what it's like to get a high fiber diet. You don't really know what it's like to be consuming protein at a a large amounts to make sure you get an adequate amount of protein. You don't know what it's like to get in highly nutritionally dense foods because for the eight weeks that you were dieting, you, you didn't practice that. You know, you were just told, okay, I have to be in a calorie deficit. It's a fan. I mean, it's it's a fantastic tool. I I don't get me wrong. I think it is, it can be as simple as how many calories have I eaten? How many calories have I burned? Fish, bash, bash, I've lost some weight. Fantastic. But learn about the foundations of food. Learn about food that's nutritiously dense. Learn about foods that's going to keep you fuller for longer. Learn about, you know, green leafy vegetables. Learn about everything that's going to like, you know, in the long run, make you feel better, not necessarily just look better. Yeah, 100%. And having that kind of like foundation of, of habits is is everything. And almost like making your life easier. Like if you talk about kind of basic principles of dieting, like food volume and, and kind of removal of decision-making and, and things like that, they are all going to play into it. And so if you're not, if you are being kind of obviously eating less nutrient-dense foods, then you kind of 
you're not going to be playing on the the kind of the satiety element of dieting. You're not going to be as full and therefore you don't make it as easy. And one of the things that kind of, if we are dieting or particularly clients of mine who are dieting, I like to kind of be inverted commas intentional to be like, okay, this is what we, these are the expectations that we're kind of putting in place. They align with it. There's no right or wrong. They align with the client's values. Um, but if we don't create clarity on that, then what can happen is we just unnecessarily prolong a deficit. We mm. just been like, Oh, Oh, by the way, I didn't manage this social event that well. And therefore we add another week onto our diet, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And it can just yeah. be, it just draws it out. And then all of a sudden we've turned, we're, we're basically in and out of dieting for the best part of the year, which doesn't really, like I say, I prefer to have that mantra of get in, get out. And, and as you say, kind of practicing these, these good habits, which facilitate a foundation of health and wellness, but also um, facilitate a like practices around dieting so that we can, um, can make life easier. Yeah, and that and that's what it is. At the end of the day, like it's just being able to like go through life and just know without even having to think, okay, this is now my new goal. I need to do XYZ to get there. And if you sort of educate yourself on the foundations of nutrition early on in the process, life becomes a whole lot easier. You know, I know now just by knowing and having having eaten and educated myself for such a long time now that okay, with every single meal, basically, I'm trying to get in a decent amount of protein. I know that without even thinking about it. I know, okay, for the last four months, I've wanted to get stronger. What is it really that I need to be doing? I need to be fueling myself plenty and plenty of carbohydrates, probably going to be in a bit of a surplus for a bit. I'm probably going to put on a bit of weight. I did. I put on four kilos in the space of four months, but I got stronger. I achieved my goal. The goal I set out to, to achieve, I achieved it. I now know that, okay, I've got turf games coming up in six weeks. What do I need to do? I'm going to have to be quite agile because there's a lot of jumping. There's a lot of sort of, you know, quite high intense moves and it's going to be quite like taxing on my body. I probably need to be a little bit lighter. What am I going to do? I'm going to increase my output, but I'm also going to decrease my input because I need to lose a little bit of weight. So I know now all the different tools that I need to do in order to get to the desired outcome. If, yeah. as a as you know Karen on the street if she needs to do xyz to get to her desired goal educate on those foundations early on and then life becomes so much easier because you just know without having to sort of get yourself worked up and stressed and worry about what you might do on the weekend completely agree from a place of um like oh right education is or knowledge is power and and particularly in that sense the only other thing um is to add is that some people we can get caught up in the idea of of an inability to just be like there are times where whilst i am training for something at the moment there are times where i just move like I don't really care what I do exercise wise. I go through these phases because other things, be it family work, et cetera, take over. And sometimes I think that people lack the ability to, to eat without that sense of purpose. And that's where things like 
practicing being at maintenance can come really really handy and then evaluating other tools around what we said around kind of like nourishment and then more mindful practices around eating that when you don't have that purpose like when you don't have that sense of I'm training to get stronger because the reality is it's not a priority at the moment which um, can be a thing is the sense of can I just still have these kind of good foundation of, of practices, which yes, from a physiological point of view, practices, fiber, protein, micronutrients, car- adequate carbohydrates, um, promoting positive nitrogen balance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, can they be facilitated? Yes. But also then from kind of being at, at peace from a, a kind of a, a psychological point of view, engaging in like mindful eating and then also understanding kind of the role that food plays within emotion as well and so like looking at this notion of say emotional eating and saying actually like if we are just looking to be without a sense of purpose emotional eating is okay like emotional eating if i'm saying i've had a really long day today and i have done this 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 you maybe i've been on zooms all day and it's been a rough day um, i am going to eat something that is going to fill me is with joy or is going to give me a positive hit of emotion that's okay to say that I'm feeling in a lockdown situation, I'm feeling really isolated right now. So I'm going to have some apple pie because it connects me to my childhood um, to make me feel better. That's okay. But the problematic emotional eating is when we use food to escape emotion, where we use to numb emotion. And that's where if we can combine those kind of practices in, because that's often where people... Um, kind of fall down is where when they have no purpose when they don't need to be in a calorie deficit anymore when maybe I just move and and train but again with no sense of of real direction um, and just to make sure that we've got all these tools in our box like you say those amazing habits that you you've described and then our ability to connect with our decision making um, is really really important yeah that's so powerful so powerful and i think anyone sort of listening to this um will take a, a lot from it because it, it at the end of the day it's just life and we are as we are we are human beings you know it, there's no right or wrong answer it's just how we sort of apply day-to-day practices yeah completely. And, and this is so the thing powerful. is is just there's no right or wrong there is just context there's no strengths and weaknesses like your ability like i can speak for this uh, my ability to stick to a routine around uh, practices around nutrition in some context became when i shift my life it became my problem my lack of ability to be versatile was extremely problematic and then I had to kind of refine and redevelop a, a more fluid relationship with food. Um, and so there's no good or bad. So you describe some of the things and I'm like in your training and your nutrition, I'm like, this is amazing. And, but then it's just having the awareness to constantly just reflect, 
is this serving me? Is this serving me? Is this serving me? And I ask, is this empowering you or is this disempowering you? Like if you are going through a stage where I'm like, Lee, I've got so much work for you. Can you do this, do this, do this? And you're putting your pressure on yourself to train as much as maybe you do and to eat in the patterns of eating that you do. You're probably disempowering yourself. It was if you just, um, during a situation like that, to just kind of not make the best decisions. Whereas actually, if we just took a step back and kind of reviewed your structure, then it would be, it would serve you in a much um, greater facet. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Couldn't agree more. Well, Callum, that's, a, that's an absolute amazing conversation. I've loved that. Um, I think the listeners will take a lot from this one because there's so many different facets when it comes to nutrition. I think we've covered a fair, fair few categories that people will really take a lot, lot from and, you know, listen to it, listen to it again, and then listen to it for a third time, really take in what sort of Callum and I have discussed, because it really will help you um, if you do have, you know, some unhealthy habits with food. Um, so yeah, I can't thank you enough for coming on Callum. That was a, a very good conversation. My pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it. Excuse me. Episode number 11 of the Being Sapien podcast. Over and out.